The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 21. It's hard to believe this is our second to last episode this season, and it's been an absolute joy to have so many of you along for the ride. This particular episode is brought to you by Life Teen. Life Teen is doing incredible work for young people all over the world, and, and even training, resourcing, and forming those who are involved in the lives of young people all over the world as well. They're in somewhere north of 25 countries, and uh, just incredible. So check out lifeteen.com. Uh, become acquainted with our really, really good friends there. And uh, yeah, know that this episode is brought to you by them. Uh, here we are. It is going to be an incredible show. Sitting down as always with Janae Trudell. Today we're talking about family and home. And in fact, in a very real way, we are all strangers and sojourners in a foreign land. So we talk about that tension today. And then soon after that, we sit down with the one and only Audrey Assad, a really, really great friend of Love Good and somebody who really brings beauty to the forefront of her artistry as a songwriter and certainly her life as well. So she's someone who's been through a massive healing journey over the last few years. And actually her brand new album, Evergreen, is is an album that unfolds that healing and unfolds that process of really encountering hope along the way. So it's an incredible episode, one that you're not going to want to miss with two of my favorite women on planet Earth, Janae Trudell, Audrey Assad, again, brought to you by Life Teen. You guys are amazing. Sit tight. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Body and Soul from Conley Nixon's debut full-length album, Lake Ella Sky, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down as always with my trusted co-host, Jenea Trudeau. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's How good you, to be back. Yeah, well, it's always good to have <laughs> you back. We're well into the springtime. This is your second to last episode with us mm -hmm. that yeah, I can see it in your face. You I just know. got really sad. It's so sad. But everybody just let out a, a, a big global sort of <laughs> massive sigh of sadness. Everybody uh, mourn for a second. Let's yes. It's I'm just honored. A, a moment of silence for Janae Trudell, everybody. Oh, she's not dead. She's still alive. My goodness, people. Okay. She's still here. She's just not gonna be like on the it. podcast for much longer. <laughs> Anyway, we're getting real dramatic really fast. But, you know, uh, that song we just heard mm. from Conley Nixon is actually one of my favorites of all 
time. Uh, and that song in particular is all about loving somebody, body and soul, right? She talks in verse one about people that she had previously dated who were always just sort of like nitpicking and fault finding. And then she finally met the man who was to become her husband, Titus Nixon, a little shout out. <laughs> You dog, you. I remember you told me once you heard her song, you just knew that was the girl I'm going to have to marry. And you just like from that point on, you're like, I'm going to fall in love or I'm going to make Colleen Nixon fall in love with me. I'm sure you didn't make her. You wooed her in. Uh, but that is a lot of what this conversation today is about is, is the true love that is found in a husband and a wife that is so powerful and so overflowing that it can't help but lead to children. And then it creates this really beautiful eternal reality that we call the family. Hmm. The family as the building block of society and culture. And uh, I just have to say, it's families like the Nixons, <clears throat> certainly what little I've encountered with your family, the Trudells. Hmm. My own family has shaped, of course, my understanding of what it really means to be one, you know, as a, as a family unit. So many beautiful and oftentimes big families here in Nashville, and uh, there's just a, this desire written on my heart, and it seems to be written on the heart of everybody, to be a part of this intimate, connected mystery that we call the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I heard it s said once um, uh, about the family, but also the whole world, that it starts... Um, that like kind of all all of the the problems that we can see plain as day on a global scale can be traced back to how the family's doing mm. right now. Um, it's like kind of like so goes so goes marriage, so goes the family, so goes uh, a nation, or so goes like a community, a city, a nation, and the world. Um, and as much as that like can have a can have a negative connotation when we see so much suffering, it can be um, so full of hope. Um, yeah, I had a unique experience, I think, like living with my family um, in a motorhome, you know, for two months out of the year, every year since I was uh, 10, pretty much. And um, it was the best of times and the worst of times and um, was really a really unique experience compared to at least maybe not, I mean, maybe not in Nashville when music is so prevalent. But where I was from, it was really unique and not not something uh, that my peers were doing, spending that much time with, with their family. And yeah, it, it instilled in me something kind of in, immovable. Like I actually have to always be a part of something like that. Even when I am away from my family, like I am right now, um, I will always, and, and, and will always feel that, that ache to belong somewhere. Um, and it's possible for that to always be quenched actually, because it's, it, it extends beyond my like immediate family by blood. It's really good. And I don't want to go too political here by any means, but I do think we have completely lost any notion of what it really means to be family, at least in Western society. Mm -hmm. We're really, really confused about that. So if you were to throw out a definition, if you were to throw out even just an ideal for family life, what would it be? Because I, I think plenty of people, more than half for that matter, are coming from divorced homes, right? Mm -hmm. um, all the more today with media going in the direction it's going, uh, they've, they've completely hijacked 
words like marriage and husband and wife and what it really means to be this intimate unit, you know, that we call the family. Um, I just think these are really confused times. Mm. And I think I've, I've shared in much of that confusion, much of even that, that despair at times that actually like family isn't what it should be. You know, and if people haven't experienced that firsthand, they've certainly seen it secondhand. So, you know, what, what, is the, what is the message, right, for people who are losing hope in the institution of family? Hmm. Obviously, I, I never think there's cause to, to completely lose hope, especially in something like the family. We can't really afford to do that right now. <laughs> we need um, courage. Um, Stubbornness, even, I suppose. Yeah, even that. Um, yeah, I think, I think every family in, in one way or another experiences division and, and suffering and brokenness um, within the home and, and extended. Um, but no matter how it's, the definition is, is being changed and, and whatever, um, there's something deeply uh, natural about it that I think we're, it's harder for us to choose to forget that than it is for us to like formulate new ways that it's supposed to work you know you sound like Cheshire talking about atheism he says it's way harder to be an atheist that the natural thing is to believe in god mm. just mm. by the light of natural reason we can come to believe that god exists i hope by the light of natural reason we can come to to see the importance of the family and i, I suppose it's a message of hope that cannot be delivered enough right now Mm -hmm. to a a very broken world yeah and it needs to be a message of hope um yeah because division if it's approached with severity it only begets more division and we've seen that in the church we've seen that in the world we've seen that in family so any beginning of of healing for um any particular family or for the world it has to begin in the home and it has to begin in spouses and that's that's they're the heart that's where it all starts um it's where everything is is started (laughs) it doesn't it's not you know beyond us to to know that that's how where we came from and that's complicated it's it's easier said than than done to mend bonds there or or to to even just uh strive for freedom and healing in between between couples and, and in the home when things have so been thrown thrown off um, and unthinkable sufferings that that I that I definitely haven't experienced. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm not married yet, and I don't know what the future holds there. But but still, I I know that there will be days when it makes no sense, and it demands way more than than I feel like I I signed up for. Um, but like you said, it's just not a time to 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 back down and to take the easy road. Um, and it it honestly starts with with the husband and wife and how they love one another. Um, and what they're willing, willing, <laughs> and what they're willing to give, and also to give up. Um, and um, yeah, it just dem- love demands more bravery now than than I think it ever has. And that's not said with a despairing like hide in your bunkers sort of tone. It's actually like we need great, great people and saints and families and couples more than ever. Um, and so it's no time to back down like we and and those who are, you know, uh, loving bravely and are beacons of hope need to like let themselves be seen and to get out there and just live their lives with love and charity um, and generosity just by sharing. And I've met so many. I mean, I grew up around great families and I come from a big family, but I also have encountered so many here in Nashville um, 
who aren't, you know, telling me what to do with my life, but making me want to like choose what they have chosen and knowing that it costs them so much more than than um, what I definitely have like thought about bargaining for or I've seen others um, kind of settle for. Um, yeah, just the building block of society. So it it makes no sense for us to look at it from an aerial view and, and try and fix these massive problems when it actually just starts like in the kitchen. You know, it starts how, how a husband and wife love each other um, in the secret of their home. You know, it, it starts with that, that sort of love um, right at the beginning of things. So, yeah, I, I think we do harm by, by slapping big, um, big common cures on things that start in such simple ways. Mm. Um, but it is a universal ache and, and need. Because um, if, if the family falls apart, like we obviously will be extinct. <laughs> That's yeah. like it's funny to say, but it is like we owe our existence to f- to family um, and to love that's sacrificial in nature. Um, so we need to be willing to to enter into that. Um, and our culture is not expecting that sort of love. And I I think even other and I mean the Western world we we suffer uh, greatly for that. And uh, and other countries like I think of my friends coming back from World Youth Day and talking about Poland and being welcomed into these houses um, and the family that they experience there. It's just like more natural to some than others. And I don't know why, but we, we can learn a lot. Um, and there are also definitely lighthouses of hope here. That's right. That's right. And when we get the family unit right, which we've all hopefully encountered that, we, we've seen it lived well. It not only inspires and gives you hope and gives you a real sense of what it means to be human, it informs community, which then informs culture, which informs every country on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk a lot about building a better culture around here at Lovegood, but actually there's nothing we could do that would be more effective than to love our spouses, love our kids for those who are married, but to love our families, um, as Chesterton puts it so many times over, just climb down your own chimney and love the people right in front of you well. That will change the world and it will certainly build a better culture. Janae, as always, thanks for guiding this conversation. We'll see you next week for your final episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh, don't remind me. Yeah, thanks. See you next time. See you. You're listening to Evergreen, the self-titled track from the brand new album by Audrey Assad. We're actually sitting down with Audrey and her beautiful daughter right now. How you doing, Audrey? 
doing well. Uh, trying to feed this hungry, hungry bird here. I love it. Well, welcome everybody back to the Love Good Podcast. It's been probably about a year and a half since we sat down with you, Audrey, and it's a great privilege to be back with you again. A lot has happened in your life. A lot has happened in my life. Love Good has really uh, shifted and moved into something uh, for us really beautiful and exciting, and I'm sure that's kind of how life has been for you too. Just give us the update. What has the last year held for you? A lot of our listeners would certainly be uh, already listening to Evergreen. Those who aren't will be by the end of this interview, I'm sure of it. Um, but what kind of led into this new album and this really this new season of life that you're in right now? Well, um, I have Camila, who's here. She's almost six months old, so that's been, you know, the last six months have <laughs> really been about her. Um, but while I was pregnant, I made this record, and um, kind of, it, it's been this artistic expression of a lot that's been going on in my personal life. Um, I didn't really write any worship music, um, or church music, I guess, um, for a few years there, and I released a hymns record in 2014, 2016, I can't remember anything, <laughs> 2016, yeah, called Inheritance, and um, part of the reason that I released that project, in addition to just wanting to do a hymns project, um, was that I just didn't have any songs to write. I was going through qu kind of a lot of anxiety and uh, spiritual uh, tumult, I guess, and... Um, I would now say I was going through quite a deconstruction experience, which a lot of people are. Religious people of all stripes sometimes go through a period where they start to ask very fundamental questions about what they really believe. Mm. And I had never really done that. And I did that, and it was panic-inducing for me because I'm a very rule-oriented person. So that was a very bleak place for me. Um, not that I'm totally out of the woods there, because, I mean, existential questions are part of being a human being, <laughs> as I've learned. I've learned to live at peace with those things and live compassionately with those things. Um, but Evergreen is kind of an outpouring of my uh, experience of at least finding that under everything, under all of that, I feel compelled towards hope. And hope in, in God in a very non-legalistic way. I used to think of hope as a more confident thing than it sometimes is. And Evergreen is sort of the expression of my learning to live at peace with the fact that I just don't know. Mm. Um, but I'm hopeful. And that's what this album really has become. Uh, what's it like, though, to, to undergo what you would call this deconstruction? I mean, it almost reminds me of being an undergrad at Vanderbilt, where they were definitely trying to deconstruct any traditional notions we had about the human person, about human society and culture. But obviously, I knew that that was a, an administration that was probably trying to kind of fight against any sort of familial kind of faithful upbringing that I had had, right? That's maybe typical of a university. But what's it like when all that's happening internally, when, when all that's happening, uh, probably unexpectedly as well? Yeah. What was that process um, like? You know, at first, as I said, it was extremely terrifying because I didn't realize this, but I had a lot of my identity sort of set in what I believe in, in a very intellectual way. And so it was like this list of ideas is who I am, you know, and it's not, it's not who I am. And it's not who God is either, because as any wise, I think, spiritual teacher will say, if they, if they're pressed, God is always going to transcend our, even our own concepts of him that we feel are coming from 
some kind of revelation. Uh, because we're... <laughs> what do you think? Because we're interpreting those ideas that are handed down. Even though they've come from tradition, we're, each of us is kind of making of them what we will with our own lens and our own context. And, our, and you know, so there's, there's objective truth, but it's not as simple as just reading it on a page because even as we read it, you know, we we translate it mm. through our own traumas, all the things that we've experienced that make us who we are. And so I think I really needed to undergo the real removal of like a long history of making my identity about what I think. Mm. It's not that. And I'm still discovering what it is because once I started down the rabbit hole of, well, you know, how do I how do I know anything is true? Um, how do I know I even exist? I mean, that is a question that sounds so silly, but I have really asked myself that question, and it's terrifying. Like I was I was driving down the road the other day, and I was behind this car, and they had a bumper sticker on their bumper that said "Honk if you don't exist." <laughs> And my first thought was, what do I do if I'm not sure? <laughs> I don't know. And then I tweeted about it, and one of my amazing followers was like, worse yet, what if only you exist and the horn doesn't? You know what I'm <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I started to go through a questioning process internally, as you said. It happened sort of by surprise for me. But now that I look back, I, don't, I see that it was not... It was not um, unreasonable that it would happen at that point because what was going on is I was dealing with um, the surfacing of a lot of trauma. And because of so much of my particular trauma experience comes from a religious background that was spiritually abusive, all of my fundamentally held beliefs were up for question all of a sudden because I was starting to undo uh, the, the cover of like over <laughs> the cover over all this stuff that needed to be sort of dealt with. And so as I realized how much abuse had gone on, nothing felt certain to me. I was like, how do I even know you know God is real? Yeah, it's so interesting. I just spent about six weeks all over the Midlands of England. And mm -hmm. one of the questions we were asking young people in pretty intimate situations where there were uh, a tremendous diversity, you know, we had uh, every imaginable socioeconomic and religious background. I mean, we, we were often in Catholic schools where over 50% of the student population would have been Muslim, right? So really mm -hmm. beautiful young people. And one of the questions that even these year nines and year 10, so the equivalent of, you know, 14, 15 mm -hmm. year olds were being asked and found to be quite inspiring, but challenging is what are your barriers to belief in God? And it's interesting when you think about trauma specifically that you would have of a spiritual nature, mm -hmm. um, it would make it really a, an incredible challenge, it you is. know, uh, it is an incredible to challenge. remove all of that from And I'm still working God. through that. Yeah. Because if your whole context is wrapped up in an experience where you were being manipulated, um, it's very difficult to separate it. I know people say you're supposed to separate it. God is not people. People are not God. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Intellectually, on some level, I can easily grasp that idea, you know. But trauma, it runs on a level underneath that kind of thing. It's actually physically wired into your brain mm. 
your limbic, you know, brain takes over when you're, you know, to use a really modern word for this, triggered by something, it takes over and those rational thoughts don't have any power Mm. until you're out of that threat. And I was starting to experience physical manifestations of this fear and of this, of this stuff. So when I started to go under like a more serious therapy journey for it, um, I had had to cancel a ton of my shows because every time I walked into a church building, I had a panic attack. I was developing like a physical twitch in my hand to where I couldn't play piano anymore. Um, I mean, just, it was all of a sudden I was like, all the things I've been telling myself don't work. And thankfully I got an amazing referral to this woman who works with trauma patients and we did about six months of pretty intense work and it began to loosen up you know uh, my spirit from the fear um but it was still a journey though yeah it demands something of us and it demands risk in us that um frankly is is overwhelming and beautiful and and all-encompassing i think we often forget that understanding what it means to be human coming into our own and our our unique and unrepeatable calling in this life in this brief life that we've all been given that really is something that unfolds with time yeah that's one of the big take-homes of 2018 for me so far is that even my biggest understandings of of god and of culture and of of who i am are still very much in development. Oh, yeah. And that's humbling. It is. I mean, I think that um, as life goes on for me, and it sounds like for you, it is really worth realizing that, yes, we are always evolving in our understanding. And we grow more and more intimately aware of how small and puny we kind of are. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, as you... you engage with different streams of thought, with different cultures, with different, you know, people of different religions and creeds and all of this. For me, that experience has been extremely expansive because it, as I've learned to let go of the fear of that, because a lot of us, and I myself included, are raised in cultures where tribalism and fear rule mm. when it comes to all of that. Our uh, friends, marriages, like business, everything is sort of ruled by this tribal mindset. And it's very natural. But as you learn to let go, and for me, the image is always, I'm, I'm trying to live, like if you stand in the ocean, and you open your fingers, you know, the water runs through your fingers, you can't hold it. But you can experience more of it, the more you open your hands, like the more rich the experiences um, of the water itself. And I, I try to think of everything as being the water. And I'm sort of like learning not to clench my hands, you know, and re- miss the experience of what it feels like to have water and a giant body of water running through your fingers. And um that's not the most poetic thing I've ever said, but it is what the image that I get. Um, so evergreen, you know, is an expression of hope, but also uh, I'm so proud of it because a lot of times people who write music for the church, at least you write what you should say. And sometimes there's a place for that. Well, for me, this record was, what can I, what can I actually say? Um, that's Mm. sincere and real and still be hopeful. And it was a real, 
balancing act to try to make a record full of songs like that that didn't bum people out, you know? <laughs> um, and I feel like I achieved it. I feel like I achieved an, a hopeful but honest project of songs for people who feel like spiritual refugees. And I think there are a lot of us who feel that way. And maybe there's a difference here because, I mean, for the most part, like I'm a naturally optimistic, mm-hmm. joyful person. Like right. I'm, I'm aware that that's my temperament. Sure. And that for the most part, life is really beautiful and mm. it, it would be hard to argue otherwise. Um, but I really deeply sympathize. I have just enough of a melancholic mm-hmm. in me to appreciate yeah. deep thinkers. Well, you know, I think there's a place for all of that. I am glad that not everybody is walking around uh, stewing over the brutality of the universe all the time. Um, I do that, you know. Do I like doing that? No. It's just how I'm wired. I I don't know how else to be. So, you know, but I think what would be great is if the church, the body of believers that make up Christianity would learn to leave room for each other and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Because I could learn from you about joy and you maybe could learn from me about pragmatism or, you know, reality or whatever. That, not, not reality. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, we have a lot to learn from each other as different types of people and temperaments. If we believe what we say we do about, you know, God's image being stamped on each one of us, temperament is a piece of that. And temperament isn't perfect, but it's, it's a part of how we image yeah. our maker if he is our maker, right? Mm-hmm. So I would love to see the church being less ruled by fear and more expansive in that way. But it's tough. It's hard. And a lot of people are not ready to do that. And I've been there, so I can empathize. We're back with Jessamine Anderson with only two episodes to go in season one of the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. And my goodness, Jessamine, what a joy (laughs) to be in the middle of April where the weather is beautiful. Finally. (laughs) We're shutting down a very incredible and successful season one. Can you believe that? I know. I can't believe that we've put out, what will it be, 22 episodes by the end? end? Holy cow. It's hard for me to believe. Let's face it, we had no idea what we were doing six months ago. (laughs) That's the best way to start an adventure, though, when you actually don't know what you're doing. (laughs) That's exactly right. If you know too much, it's not an adventure. So, well, here we are. I know we've got a lot to be celebrating right now, not just with the end of season one of the Love Good podcast, but actually you're just coming off of the road and had a really incredible handful of fire sites all over the Midwest. Maybe you could even, do I dare say, New England. How did it go? <laughs> it was a really beautiful time. Um, these these fireside events were the most beautiful evenings of just building culture, which is exactly what we're all about, but to see it in action, to see these love good artists um, share their stories as musicians and also as, you know, their stories of being involved with love good and just witnessing the changes in people's hearts throughout the night as they really opened themselves up to this vision of what it can look like to, to invest in something that can help them build a better culture. I mean, we were witnessing it on a very small scale in people's homes, but I know that that's just the the tip of the iceberg in terms of what the potential is for for Love Good to do events. It's amazing because we're obviously moving far beyond just helping people curate media with the Love Good standard. We're really helping them bring beauty to the forefront of their lives, inspiring a lifestyle that in fact does transform culture. So mm-hmm. let's just say, I'm sure we got plenty of listeners out there who are wondering, well, how can I get to a fireside house concert with Love Good? How can I experience this culture that you speak of? 
in person, what, what would you say? Well, we actually have a brand new page on our website, lovegoodculture.com slash events. You can see the different events that we offer so that you can bring love good to your hometown, to a community near you. Um, we're ready to come build culture right alongside you, right where you are. Yeah, it's really an exciting moment where obviously I've been traveling and speaking and involved in a lot of different events over the last five, six, seven years. But now really as a movement, as a community of artists and patrons and even our team here in Nashville, we're ready to start bringing those events as far and wide all over the country, perhaps all over the world, um, <laughs> as much as possible. And, you know, we just got back from England. So let's face it, we are a global movement. And what mm -hmm. a privilege to get to really bring this movement to life uh, as much as possible in people's lives, homes, communities, towns. So, Jessamyn, really, really excited. Lovegoodculture.com slash events. Everybody go check that out, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, Jimmy. There's a new album out right now by Stephanie Gretzinger called Blackout. She's from Bethel. And it has a song, and I'll admit, <clears throat> I don't listen to much worship music because it all sounds way more confident than I feel. But I love <laughs> her voice and her heart and her power. And so I was listening to her record yesterday, and I just was so moved because she has a song on it called Sing My Way Back. And I think it's an incredible expression of how powerful music can be. Um, she says... The chorus says, if I lose direction, if I can't see the stars, if we get disconnected, I'll sing my way back to your heart. Mm. And I loved the thought because I thought, oh my gosh, music is so powerful. And yeah, in my skepticism, I definitely question if what I'm feeling is divine or biological or both. It's probably both. Um you know, that the physical sensations people feel when they hear beautiful music. Sometimes we're we're like, oh, that's God. And you know what? It is. And maybe it's also the way our bodies respond to frequencies. But maybe it can be both. And I just think it was a powerful way to describe that when, when the human voice of longing can be put into music, it really does heal. It's the most per perfect transition because I was going to close with asking for some media recommendations. You know, you mm -hmm. talk about people maybe feeling a little bit on the outside and not having a home, not feeling like they belong anywhere. Well, I am only slightly ashamed to admit that I've now finally seen The Greatest Showman, and I saw it twice in 24 hours. <laughs> I haven't seen hours. it, so you shouldn't oh, feel bad. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> you shouldn't feel bad. It, it blew me away. I haven't away. seen it. I saw it, uh, I guess I saw it Monday at a theater, like one of the last theaters showing it, and then I saw it yesterday on a plane, mm. so I'm just crazy about it. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, you'll just have to see it because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of what you're talking about. Um, that being said, what other books, mm -hmm. movies, and albums would you recommend right now? Okay, so I just finished watching this, so I'm a little high on it. The Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country. Have you watched this? No. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love cult stuff, probably because I grew up in one. I'm, like, very fascinated by the, the, psych, the psyche of groups, and especially with religion involved. And um, But it is an excellent documentary. I mean, I couldn't recommend it more. I, because... I'll just put it this way. It's about an it's about a commune in the 70s and 80s, more more so 80s I guess, early 80s, um, called Rajneeshpuram in Oregon. An Indian guru brings like thousands of his followers to Oregon and takes over a town basically. And I'll just say, you think you know who you're gonna root for, because documentaries almost always have kind of a clear 
trajectory. And this one did a really good job of not giving you that kind of relief. <laughs> and so the whole time I just was feeling tension. And by the end I thought, oh boy, I'm going to be thinking for like a year about this one, you know, about the psyche of different groups, including the little like small town Christians who were there when these people arrived. And I walked away going, I don't know who is more human and broken. I think they're all kind of the same, which is a really kind of cool thing to come, you know, to see. Um, anyway, it's very, it's compassionate, but also very honest about, about that kind of thing. It's a great documentary and produced by, um, the Duplass brothers who are really great. Um, and then I've been reading, um, man, for about two years, I'm still rereading it over and over. So I recommend it all the time. Uh, Entering the Silence by Thomas Merton, which is mostly just journal entries. It's really, really great and instructive to writers as well as being really spiritually helpful. Um, I really love that. And then I, Madeline Lingle died about 11 years ago now. Um, last year was her, te- the 10 year anniversary of her death. And so, and she's someone I, re- I really relate to as someone who a lot of people don't think was kind of quite Christian enough by the end of her life because she was sort of a Christian universalist. Um, and a lot of people don't really have room for that. But I love her writing. Um, the Wrinkle in Time book is obviously her most famous. It's a quintet. The whole quintet is worth reading. I've read it many times now. And um, I've been working my way through all her memoirs. The Irrational Season is one um, which I've loved. So that's kind of some of the stuff that I'm sitting with and have been sitting with. That's awesome. Well, everybody, you're crazy if you haven't already downloaded Evergreen, Audrey's latest full-length album. I cannot wait for more and more people to just know even some of the the realities behind that album as they listen to this podcast. And uh, for me, Audrey, I know it's just a tremendous gift to have you as a friend, to, to especially just know you as an artist, that, that you are on this path towards... Um, holiness, wholeness, health, fullness, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it, and that you're allowing the rest of us a glimpse into the struggle and into the hope that ultimately orients your life. And uh, just know that I don't take that for granted, and I hope no one else does. And uh, thank you so much for this time. We'll have to do it again. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to Wounded Healer by Audrey Assad from her brand new album, Evergreen, available everywhere digital music is sold. 
What a great joy to be wrapping up episode 21, season one of the Love Good podcast, to have people like Junea Trudell and Audrey Assad in with us to really talk about media, culture, and of course, the art of being human. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. This is the moment where one of you has sent us a question, um, an audio recording, a voice memo. Anybody can do this by simply emailing an attachment to content at lovegoodculture.com. And this is actually one of my favorite questions we've received yet. Check it out. Hey, Jimmy. This is John from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I was just wondering, what are some ways that someone like me can continuously and boldly live a life rooted in goodness, beauty, and truth while living in an environment where the common view of the transcendentals is so skewed? John, what a great joy to have a question like that coming in from a college student like yourself. I do wonder if, in fact, that third transcendental of beauty, the one that we are always talking about here at Lovegood, is not the way to really start. Like how, do you, how do you be faithful? How do you engage this increasingly postmodern world? I think we have to lead with beauty. You know, we talk about that a lot when we're curating media, but it is also a principle for life. What does it look like to bring the, the beauty of who we are to the forefront, not in a prideful way, not in a weird way, but in a really natural way to to be authentic and to allow that to be deeply rooted in the truth of who we are, that we are in fact love, that we have an inherent dignity, that in fact that inherent dignity then extends to every person that we encounter. And when people then encounter us, It'll, it'll just simply have a transformative effect on them. So I suppose, John, it's all about finding that little community of people that you can be faithful with, that you can grow uh, as a, a person of virtue and as somebody who centers his life in the transcendentals with so that you're not alone and that you guys can actually go out and captivate the world. Uh, it's sort of like a, a Trojan horse operation. You, you go in without people even realizing it. You captivate them, and then you really invite them by the witness of your life to be transformed. And John, it's a real inspiration to hear young men, young women like yourself out there giving it all they've got. Everybody, it has been a total joy to have you listening to this episode. We are wrapping it up at this very moment. In fact, we've got a really special guest coming in next week, and that'll be our very last last episode. And then over the course of May, June, July, we'll just be slowly and occasionally releasing bonus episodes with some of the finest singer-songwriters in Nashville. In fact, one of them at the very moment who's likely to be on soon is a Grammy Award winner. And that's pretty exciting that, in fact, there are people at even that level of society and culture who are living the love good standard, who are bringing beauty to the masses and really using their platform to build a better culture, just like all of you do day in and day out. So thanks for being such an incredibly inspiring, inspiring uh, community of listeners, patrons, and people that are willing to put themselves on the front lines and build that culture we've always imagined. You guys are amazing. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And we'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. 
as they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.